After 12 long years of school, I find myself trying to decide how I want my life to continue. And while, romantically at least, this transition would be one of serene self-reflection and content accomplishment, it is instead a season of college applications. Just the phrase alone is enough to evoke sudden spasms and shudders among my peers. The idea of college apps is at its root very simple. I, a high school student, tell a particular organization about my life, my skills, my aspirations, and they decide if my information, if my life, is one that they can add to their collective. To write these applications requires immense self-reflection, and reflection invites self-criticism. The process of filling out these applications is the process of holding my life out to be judged. With every box I check, I show these big, scary, important institutions a small window into the 17 years of memories and knowledge that encompass my conscious existence. And if they reject me, they are telling me that my application wasn't good enough. Their refusal seems to suggest that my life wasn't good enough. I have a lot of conversations with myself. Usually, I have one side that says what I'm really thinking, while the other side tries to say what I need to hear. So when part of me says, there's no way I'm good enough to get into that school, the other part of me is quick to respond with something like, you know, this application can only ever show a part of you, not the whole you. I don't know that this system always works to motivate me, but it does give me a taste of self-love in a sea of self-doubt. As I fill out these applications, I think back on many of my life choices, and I begin to doubt them. Should I have taken this class during this year? Did I really prepare enough for this test? Why didn't I join the debate team? Things like that. Looking around at my peers, I find endless examples of people who look infinitely more qualified, who seem to have made more out of their lives than I have, whose lives seem more deserving of college acceptances than mine. My life, the time I have spent making both good and bad choices, falls short beneath these gods of time management and talent. I doubt not only my chances of success, but my work. Through all the anger and frustration I feel, it takes a lot of effort to step out of the cycle of writing and regretting. After all, while I may struggle to bring my experiences to life within 300 words or fewer, I am not someone who does things just to look good on an application. And trust me, I know plenty of these people. My activity list may look few in number, but it is large in a more intangible commodity, memories. I can't submit the scratches and bruises I received while playing basketball. I can't record my sister and I howling with laughter or the night spent chasing toddlers around the house when I babysit, but these things exist under the descriptions I write on my application. The universities to which I apply can't judge these parts of my life. Only I can reflect on the value of these tacit, unwritten memories that color every written statement. These applications often ask me to describe my biggest accomplishment or my favorite subject. And when I'm trying to condense my essence into 200, 300, or 500 words, especially when, in editing, I am forced to scrap ideas that seemed integral to my soul for the sake of saving space, how do I represent my choices in a way that stays true to me, while not being quite honest enough to tell the whole messy truth? How do I come to terms with my choices when they are laid before me in a list? And how do I write from a position of love and hopeful anticipation 
when in reality, I'm stressed, sleep deprived, and feeling less and less my, like my accomplishments carry enough real worth? The simple, blunt answer, I don't. Or at least, I don't do a very good job. After all, I have two applications due tomorrow that I am, as I write this piece, avoiding. <laughs> but when I do sit out and pound out these statements, I have to draw from somewhere to keep that light burning in my work. And thankfully, I have a lot of light to draw from. Maybe I didn't join the robotics team, but I can't really regret that when I have memories of climbing trees in the dark with my friends or exploring Stanford's fountains on my free period rather than getting a head start on homework. In my economics class, we learn about the opportunity cost of a venture, the loss of a potential benefit of an option we didn't take. My choices have opportunity costs, many of which are thrust into the spotlight when it comes time to tally my accomplishments. That's the whole idea of coulda, woulda, shoulda. And that's what I, and I assume many other people, think about when we are looking for a reason to regret our choices, to kick ourselves for past decisions. But what we don't always acknowledge are the benefits of our choices. These are often harder to focus on because we're so set on looking for places where we are lacking. But by choosing basketball over theater, I probably got more exercise and I bonded with my teammates. And by spending my summer in Oaxaca, Mexico, rather than taking a summer class, I made memories and friends that will last far longer. I can come to terms with my choices because, in looking back, each choice I have made has brought me to where I am now. And the combination of costs and benefits of my decisions have, overall, left me with an optimistic outlook. That is how I forgive myself, even when I'm not confident in my achievements, even when I have spent months trying to dig through layers of memory and bad writing to get to something real, something true in my essays and applications. There is no truth with a capital T for me. And I'm realizing that that's okay. I still have a lot of lowercase truths. And somehow, those are enough to say something about who I am. I can't say everything, but maybe I can find the words to say one thing well. I can't be good at everything, but what I am good at, I work hard for because I want to. I forgive myself for my less than perfect choices because some of them are good ones in disguise. I forgive myself for my regrets because they are colored by happy moments. I forgive myself for my failures because even the act of recognizing my shortcomings is a success. Next reading is from one of our many sources of our living tradition, the book of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to read and a time to sow, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? If the author of Ecclesiastes had been a Unitarian Universalist, 
he might also have added, there is a time to transform and a time to remain unchanged. For here at UUCPA, we say that we come to transform ourselves, each other, and the world, but we kindly don't mention a time scale on which this transformation should happen, which is important to remember at this time of year. 2017 is drawing to a close today. Part of the year-end process for me, and maybe for many of you, is to review what kind of year it has been. Personally, I can be hard on myself at this time of year when I think back at my resolutions at the start of the year and the ones I ended up not keeping. I didn't lose the 25 pounds I wanted to. I didn't do as much to mitigate global warming as I wanted to. My LinkedIn profile was not up to date. <laughs> and I didn't call my dad as often as I thought I should. Bad joke. One metaphor for transforming ourselves is the analogy of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Steve Johnson used this analogy in his sermon about transformation just a few months ago. But this analogy left me wondering, how does the caterpillar know when it's time to make the dramatic change? Is it reacting to environmental signals, like the length of day or the temperature, or is it acting purely on hormonal changes? Whatever signals the caterpillar is reacting to, I think it's safe to say that it is not changing because it made a New Year's resolution that this was the year it was going to change into a better <laughs> Of course, we're not caterpillars, but it's still a good analogy. Resolutions are like saying, this is the year I'm going to change into a butterfly. But what if I get to the end of the year and I'm still a caterpillar? Am I a failure? We can be pretty hard on ourselves. But when I read the passages from Ecclesiastes, I am consoled. Perhaps it just wasn't the time to change into a butterfly this year. Those resolutions and commitment were nothing but vanity. It does seem too easy for we humans to think that we have more control over our lives than we actually do. Any goal we have, any change or transformation that we want to make, takes a confluence of many factors to make happen. We may have the best of intentions, but intention alone is not enough. External events may intercede. Perhaps you or a loved one became pregnant, or a loved one became ill or passed away. Perhaps there was an unexpected job change. Perhaps there was an unexpected opportunity that was just too good to turn down. Perhaps a fire, flood, or other natural disaster ruined your chance for the objective you set. There are many, many things that will change our plans. And it seems like the bigger the unexpected thing is, the easier it is to explain and forgive. Of course you had to change your plans. That was obviously out of your control. It's the smaller, subtler things that may still be out of our control that we can be less forgiving about. Like caterpillars, we are still animals. Through our genetics, our upbringing, and the environmental exposures we've had, we're programmed or conditioned to respond in certain ways to external events. It might be a seemingly small thing that trips us up, but sometimes the small things set off reactions that really set up, throw us off our rails. One of the unexpected events for me this year was getting a diagnosis of a basal cell carcinoma. As diagnoses go, it's not a big deal. It's not life-threatening, 
it can be treated with a high success rate. Yet for me, it did send me into a fatalistic funk that threw off my plans. I knew that many risk factors were present in my life. I had lots of sun exposure during my youth. My mother, my mother's mother, my mother's father, and my brother had all developed some form of cancer in their lives. So even though my diagnosis was fairly benign, it was still the C word, and it brought me back to revisit the losses in my life. And it shot holes through any optimistic exceptionalism that I had, that I would be the one to escape the risk factors. At the time, my very human reaction to this event was to feel sorry for myself and withdraw, which made it more difficult to accomplish my resolutions. It's these type of events, things that are not big enough by themselves to justify not meeting resolutions, that can be most difficult to forgive ourselves for. Yet we don't even know all the obstacles that we'll encounter to change when we make our goals. Nobody's knowledge of themselves is perfect. We are sometimes surprised to find things out about ourselves, and it takes time to digest this new information, either to figure out how to overcome it, or perhaps even change our objectives based on our new information. There is something else about the caterpillar analogy. The caterpillar first has to spin a cocoon and go through a lengthy transformation within before it can emerge as a butterfly. We might overlook this step, since in nature films, it is often rushed through with time-lapse photography. Yet the butterfly cannot appear without this step, and we should not expect that we can skip it or rush through it either. So what am I to do? Do I stop making resolutions because they might fail? I think that's the wrong answer. Though studies do vary, there seems to be enough evidence that if you want to achieve a certain outcome, that using a goal-setting process will help achieve that outcome. So I still make resolutions since there are certain outcomes that I want to achieve. But I have to realize that although in general, and statistically speaking, goal-setting helps, it in no way guarantees that I will achieve my outcome. There are many factors that must come together for success, and many of these can be unknown or out of my control. Since there are so many factors that go into success, not meeting a goal is almost never a case of personal failure. And that's why it's important to forgive ourselves and each other. In trying to accomplish our goals, we may uncover something we didn't know about ourselves or about the goals themselves. That means it's going to take longer than we first anticipated. Or maybe we find out there was something more important to accomplish than what we originally picked. I'm reminded of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. In this classic movie, Jimmy Stewart plays the lead character, George Bailey, who has many plans that never come to fruition. On graduation, he plans to travel the world, but his father is dying and George has to cancel his trip. After George gets married, he has to cancel his honeymoon because he needs that money to help the townspeople and prevent a run on the bank. George's brother goes off to the war and becomes a war hero, but George can't serve because he lost hearing in one ear while saving his brother's life in childhood. And finally, when his business appears to be ruined because George trusted his absent-minded uncle, George plans to commit suicide. From George's perspective, he only sees the failures, 
the unmet dreams. In the movie, it takes an angel to help George see that in each of the moments that mattered, George made the right and compassionate decision. And in the end, George accomplished something far more important than any of his plans. So let us try to be each other's angels, to help forgive ourselves and each other, to help see the dignity and worth of each other, even if, or especially if, we didn't fulfill our resolutions. We can still be transforming ourselves, each other, and the world in many ways, even if it's not how we thought we were going to, or on the timeline that we wanted.